Can a radio show keep you safe and protect your rights? The verdict is yes. If it's Scott Weinberg on the law. Once again, here's attorney Scott Weinberg. Welcome back. Well, we had the opportunity to talk with infamous attorney Jeffrey Figer and, uh, and hear some of his ideas, obviously, and what, uh, what's going on with his new movie, which, quite frankly, I can't wait to see. And we're going to switch gears a little right now, talk a little about uh, what's going on in this state with family law and, and father's uh, paternity rights. I want to welcome to the show Ellen Painter. She's an expert in family law with Painter & Associates and uh, really one of the, uh, one of the top uh, family lawyers in town. Welcome to the show, Ellen. Hi, Scott. Thanks for having me. Ellen, one of the things that are going on, and everybody is aware, obviously, of how bad the economy is and you know i talk and i'm in court all the time and i always talk with family lawyers who just can't believe how many of uh, either one or both of the um of the divorced couple that are coming into court are not represented by an attorney because they say they can't afford an attorney and they go in front of a judge and are completely taken advantage of by the system. They don't know what's going on, or the judge would send them to the library. I just saw it yesterday. They'll send them to the library to say, well, go research it up at the uh, up at the uh, law library and then come back when you know what you're talking about. What's going on out there? Well, that's true, Scott. That is happening more and more now because of the economy we're dealing with here in Michigan. And you've hit it on the nose. The court clerks aren't are not allowed to give legal advice. So if you go unrepresented to the courthouse, they're not going to tell you what you need to do, what forms you need to have, and they will send you to the library. Go ahead. I was going to say, don't don't you see, though, that let's say that you have one side where you're representing just one side and the other one doesn't have an attorney. I mean, just plain plain as day. Would you rather the other side have an attorney or would you rather be dealing with it as, in this case, like a default divorce where the other side isn't represented? You know, it really depends. Um, there are a lot of couples out there that are able to reach an agreement without having both parties represented. As an attorney, I can't represent two parties in one divorce case, but there are several cases where I do have just one party that I'm representing, and they advise me what their agreement is with the other party, and I draft the documents. And when we go to enter that judgment of divorce, I make it clear on the record to the court that I've only represented the one party, that I've not provided any legal advice to the other party. And you're right, they are at a legal disadvantage if they have not consulted with an attorney. You know, I can see some benefit, it. I have to admit. I mean, it definitely would keep the total cost down in terms of attorney's fees, but you really have to have a couple that's working well together to do that, don't you? I mean, they really can't be too contentious because you need some type of uh, counsel, something to, I guess, go between those two couples. I agree, and I've seen several times those parties unrepresented at court in in contentious cases where it frustrates the judge because the unrepresented party doesn't know what they're doing and they're wasting the court's time by attempting to litigate on their own. Do you find that with the bad economy, and we're just talking to uh, one of our divorce attorneys, or our bankruptcy attorneys in town, that because people's major asset is their house, that because so many people are underwater now, that that's affecting whether or not either affecting their divorce or whether or not they're even filing for divorce because their major asset might not be worth anything? 
It does, and I provide free phone consultations. And in my phone consultation, um, that is generally the biggest issue other than custody and parenting time in um, the roadblocks to making an amicable agreement between two parties. They can't decide what to do with the house. If your house is underwater, you don't have many options. And usually one party cannot assume the home if it's under underwater. So you're really looking at foreclosure or short sale as your only options in that situation if you pursue a divorce. We're talking to Ellen Painter, one of our uh, foremost family law attorneys in town. You know, Ellen, there's a crazy issue that came up uh, recently, and I wanted to talk to you about it. it. It's basically, and it was also in the article in the Detroit News, the biological dad fights for parental rights. And it's my understanding where, and you correct me if I'm wrong, if you are married and the wife has a baby, but it turns out that baby is a child of a different person than the father, the rights still go to the married father, not the biological father. Is that right? That's correct. If you have a child that's born during a marriage, the husband is presumed by state law in Michigan to be the legal father. That sounds insane. Well, you know, there were reasons for that type of a statute when it was entered years ago, and really it was the state of Michigan not wanting to bastardize a child. And um, and that's really, if you went back and looked at the initial um, background information on this, the reasoning for this law, that was it. So we do have a change in the way that our society looks at something like that today. So would I see the statute changing sometime in Michigan? Yes. Do I see it changing this year or next year? Not necessarily. There's usually always a bill floating around in the state legislature about changing this area of law. Do you think that uh, do you think that with family law the way it is right now, or at least in the state, that the difference in a change in governor is going to change anything regarding how our courts or our, uh, the legislature is either conservative or more liberal in its stance in terms of helping out um, either fathers or mothers in in uh, getting the children? You know, I really don't see a change in a governor um, making that much of a difference. It's really our state legislature that changes the uh, statutes and and has the responsibility for drafting those statutes. So it's really who you elect as your local state representative that's going to affect that more than anything. Is there a bias at all you find in the state regarding uh, custody for the child for or against the father? Well, currently um, there is legislation that they're trying to pass that uh, has more of a everybody's entitled to joint custody uh, feeling to it. Whereas right now, the way the statutes do read, there is no real definition as to joint custody. It does mention it in the statutes, but it's not defined as number of overnights. And so then you're looking at what people think of as sole physical custody as your general custody standard in Michigan. And it really is more the local judges and their leanings as to how they interpret the state laws in awarding custody. The the statutes are pretty gender neutral on um, how you are awarded custody in Michigan. It's it's the judges' interpretations of those statutes, and there are judges locally here that do lean in favor of a one specific gender rather than the other. Do you find that it's the gender of the judge that makes a difference? You have a male judge that's more likely to go one way or a female judge more likely to go for the, the woman or the man? Interesting. Locally here, it's generally um, 
a, a few older male judges that prefer to award custody to the female. Hmm. Well, my dad would probably give uh, custody, <laughs> give me custody away too. We're talking to Ellen Painter, one of the uh, one of the foremost uh, family lawyers in town. Ellen, thank you very much for uh, joining us. We'll have you back on the show to talk more about family law and the current state of divorce in this uh, in the state of Michigan. Thanks a lot. Thanks, Scott. Uh, give me a call anytime if you have any more questions. Take care. But uh, the uh, the phone lines are nuts about this whole thing with Kevorkian. I don't know why people find it so polarizing when Jeffrey Figer is on, is on the line. I mean, I mean, he is a, a lawyer who really takes on, in many cases, the hard cases. But when you have a uh, subject, when you have any kind of movie that comes out, you know, everybody actually always uh, has opinions about whether they're true or not. We got... Uh, we got Big Ben here, and at Ben, you know, one of the things that that I know you're curious about is whether or not uh, these cases are when they depict them on the movie on the whether it's HBO or in movies, can they be real? Yeah, I mean, just something that if you know you're a movie watcher, you stay till the end of the credits. They always have that disclaimer at the bottom, you know, anything names, likenesses, locations. It's just purely, you know, coincidence, happy stance. I mean, isn't that like kind of like a protective blanket? You know, just because they put it on there doesn't mean, one, that it's uh, legal. So if they have something at the end of a movie or even at the end of, uh, like, say, these uh, YouTube now on the Internet, there's all new rules about how you can legitimately uh, show any real true story, but you claim it as your own. So let's say that you have a depiction of something real happening. Um, a court case, a, uh, uh, someone who, let's say an accident and it really was going on. The question is, do you have to get, uh, do you have to have a disclaimer saying that these people consented to it or that it is a situation where, um, this is a real case? Or if it's actors in there that are pretending to be reenacting something, do you have to say, this is a, a reenactment? And when something you, you have it just like with this, um, What's it called? Uh, you don't know Jack. That is a obviously a true story based on a, tr- a movie based on a true story. And the question is, how exact do they have to make it? And when you when you get to the other thing that uh, that Figer was talking about, his lawsuit with the Hurt Locker, is it now because they're not involved with it? Can you sue because someone else stole your idea? even though it might be an accurate depiction of what goes on. Right, and also, you know, you have movies that are always say, you know, based on a true story, and those have embellishments because, you know, creative control of a director wants to say, well, you know, maybe I want to have, you know, some of this stuff over here, you know, change it a little bit. But they don't get affected by something like this. So, I mean, how, yeah, but how it, is that any different? But in Hurt Locker, you know, what they're, what Figer's saying is, listen, this was totally stolen. This was no credit given to, what's his name, Master Sergeant Jeffrey Sarver, that this was all his life, that this was his true story, and they gave no credit to him. You know, they might have made a deal with him, saying, listen, we're going to buy the rights to it. They could still have at the end of that, and any depictions um, are simply coincidence, because you don't know if Master Sergeant Sarver uh, wrote it correctly or if he told it correctly. So what he might have said isn't correct. But when you have lawsuits like that, listen, you know what? Anybody can sue anybody for any reason. Right. Period. 
Right. You talk about the ethics of things. You don't need a legitimate case to sue. However, lawyers ethically are not allowed to take on cases that they don't believe are just, that they believe there's some basis for it. But you get an individual that feels they've been wronged, whether it's true that they have or not, they try to get a lawyer to try and sue. And what Figer's saying is that Figer really believes in this guy. And if it wasn't something that he didn't believe happened, he wouldn't sue. He would feel it's unethical to be able to sue for something that you don't believe happened. However, anybody can sue anybody for anything. Right. So just because they say, oh, no, this is my story. I'm going to be suing. I don't think Figer would have taken this case. But whether you have another lawyer that will say, hey, that was the song I wrote, you know, 30 years ago, and they took it, and it was really with the, uh, you know, the Shirelles, and now they, the, some hip-hopper made it into mine. You know, you get some lawyer that's going to say, yeah, great, we'll make a little money on that. Yeah, I mean, it's definitely an interesting case and a di- uh, an interesting, uh, you know, outcome, because like he mentioned in the interview, uh, just listening to it, it, it could, I mean, you never know, it could open like a floodgate because, like, of just incidents of maybe, you know, Sergeant John Doe says, well, maybe that was me, too. Right. Like, like maybe that's my story. Right. What about other soldiers exactly. that are in I mean, the movie? It's just interesting how it's going to just, you know, do that. But when you have actually lawsuits that are based on someone else's ideas, so let's say that someone wants to copy your web page and don't give you credit for it. Listen, we all grew up and we all uh, heard about plagiarism. People can kicked out. Well, all this really is is another form of plagiarism. It's stealing someone else's idea. It's stealing someone else's words. It's stealing someone else's song. And there are specific rules interpreting what is your, what's called intellectual property right. and what isn't. And the basis of any lawsuit with that is, is vast. You can have so many different ideas of what your idea was, but you got to document that it was your idea. You got to be whether it's your song or whether it's your story or whether it's your website. You got to be able to show that that was your intellectual property, that that was your story, and that you were not paid or were not given permission for it. How would you go about doing? It? How would you go about protecting yourself in uh, something like that? Could you give yourself, uh, I guess, what some people refer to as the poor man's copyright, like kind of? Mail Just you. put the C on it? Well, well, you know, mail yourself the original copy so it's always postmarked and date that, you know, this was like around the time it was created. Yeah, that I, really I, is the poor man's, my friend. Right. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> it's the price of a stamp. <laughs> well, you know, 41 cents is a lot of money. But Well, no, I mean, it, there, there are specific rules with copywriting and with trademarking that, you know, you really, if you want to protect something, you really have to do it properly with not only the state, but with the uh, federal government. And the problem is most people never do that. One, because it costs a little money to do it, to, to hire an attorney. Although, quite frankly, it's not that expensive to copyright material as it is to trademark material. But, you know, you can always keep your records. And if anybody's listening and wants to be able to do that, you should always just keep your record of your original ideas with it. You should keep it uh, basically uh, um, uh, with, the, uh, with the federal government. There's a form you file with copyright protection. And... You, uh, and I would recommend you, you have a lawyer, uh, that can at least review it. Even if you're not going to spend the money to have a lawyer do the search for it at the federal copyright, um, uh, at the trademark office, at least you can have a lawyer's advice on it. And we have a future show, we'll have a copyright lawyer talk about some of the different issues on it. One of the, uh, 
one of the main things, especially whenever you're dealing with uh, people trying to steal your ideas or that you feel that you want to uh, sue, my recommendation is obviously don't go in on your own. I don't care if it's a criminal case. I don't care if it's a civil case. You know, there are so many lawyers that are reasonable, whether you want to call us at Weinberg Law or if you want us to refer you to a, uh, a specific uh, type of attorney that uh, we may not handle, just give us a call at uh, 1-800-7100-LAW. That's 1-800-7100-529, and I'm happy to uh, have our staff, or if you want to talk to me personally, uh, deal with that. But I can tell you, don't go to court. Don't file your case without having proper representation. You wouldn't fix your toilet without a plumber. You wouldn't build your house without a builder. You wouldn't do it without a proper plan. And if you go to court and if you have any issue regarding what you're doing, you don't know exactly what you're doing, you are not prepared. So please call a lawyer, call our office, call someone, get some advice so that you know exactly what your rights are. Because the one thing that I hate to see, and uh, Ellen Painter talked about it too in family law, is... People going in front of a judge, getting taken advantage of, and not knowing their rights. So, wake up, America. You need to know your rights. You need to know that anybody other than your lawyer is not going to protect them as best as you need it. So, call us at 1-800-7100-LAW. This is Weinberg on the Law.